I get the privilege of doing that. Um, and Dave was talking about how relationships are, are vital to our lives. And they are vital because we have been created to be in relationship with one another. We are created by a heavenly father and he is in perfect relationship as a trinity. Um, and we've been created in his image. So relationships are obviously important because God created us like him and he has created us for relationship. And in our lives, we're going to have many different relationships and Jesus calls us to love God and to love one another, which makes our relationships important, whether it's relationships as the church, as singles, as dating, married couples, or even relationships with ourselves and our own bodies. Right, Jesus calls us in, in all of these spheres of life to have God-centered relationships. And as we look at these different relationships over the next couple of weeks, we will see how they can all come together in the way God attends, intends. So we know, though, as we look at different relationships in our lives, that our most important relationship is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And because of that, all other relationships that we have are outflowing of our relationship with God. So ultimately, as we grow in our own relationship with God and as we grow um, yeah, in, in, our, in, our, in our love for him, so too will our relationships with others grow and deepen. And if we want to know how to have healthy relationships with others and with ourselves, our perfect example is through Jesus. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be tracking through 1 Corinthians chapters 6 and 7. And we're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about relationships and disputes amongst believers, about relationships and how to have healthy relationships with our own bodies. We're going to be looking at marriage relationships and what, what they look like, um, and also singleness and dating. So I'm really looking forward to this next four weeks. Um, it's a massive topic to unpack, but yeah, I do just want to keep your focus on Jesus and our relationship with him um, because it's out of that that all other relationships flow. So for those of you maybe on Young Ads Retreat or maybe you're, um, you serve at youth ministry with me, you will know that I'm a very competitive person. Maybe you don't even have to be that close to me to actually know that I'm a competitive person. <laughs> now, I usually don't love going around saying this and that's, that's actually because I'm so competitive that I don't want to tell you that I'm competitive just in case I lose something one day and then you might not think I'm competitive. It's ironic. But my competitive nature is revealed in many different ways. And if you've ever played any type of game or sport with me, um, you, you, will, you will notice it. Um, some of the, the obvious things are I get really loud. I start, I start telling you what to do and how to do it. I make sure everybody knows the rules and the right rules. I'll pull you up pretty quick if, if you're not doing the rules properly and I'm not afraid to dob on you <laughs> if you do do the wrong thing, particularly if, if it gives me a better chance of, of winning, right? <laughs> Um, now, dis disclaimer, this is just in those kind of game situations of my life. Um, this doesn't outflow to my everyday um, living. <laughs> but 
these, these um, behaviours, they all come together to reveal my competitive nature and to reveal something that goes on deeper inside of me. And this is the same with, with all of our behaviours, right? Our behaviours reflect what's going on internally and they can reveal things to us about our personality and about our understanding. So tonight we're going to be talking about our relationships with other believers. And to do this, we're going to be looking at the church in Corinth. Now, in, in Corinth at the time, there was a lot going on. And there were a lot of behaviours within the church which were actually revealing deeper issues. And the church in Corinth didn't understand their identity or their witness or their calling. And because of this, they were fighting. And they weren't just fighting amongst themselves, they were taking it publicly. Paul is so concerned with this behaviour. He says, how dare you take your sin and your disputes outside of the church? How dare you sue one another? These are Christians, brothers and sisters, suing one another over civil matters. He says, I cannot believe that you think this is okay. Right? You are tainting the image of Jesus outside. So these, believers, these behaviours of the church revealed that they had forgotten their identity, they had forgotten their witness, and they had forgotten their calling. So we're going to read now from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to 11, so if you want to open that up, um, and we're going to see what Paul has to say about this issue. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. says, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, you are not competent to judge, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose ways of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we come before your word tonight, we want to thank you for it. We thank you for um, the teaching that we can find within it, Lord. We just pray now that um, we would have hearts that are softened to what you have to say to us. Lord, give us ears that are ready to hear and listen as well. In your name, amen. Amen.
So I think it's important to, to mention first off that these disputes that Paul's talking about, they're not criminal matters, right? They're not criminal matters. Because Paul agrees, and we can see throughout um, other parts of the Bible, that criminal matters have a rightful place in court. Paul here is talking about civil matters, about insults, about disputes, where people are just seeking justice um, and they're seeking for their issues and their fights to be addressed. So the first matter that Paul reminds the Corinthian churches of is their identity. And we can see this in verses 1 to 4, where he reminds the Corinthians over and over again that they are the Lord's people. When you give your life to Christ, he gives you a new identity. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And, and this is what the church in Corinth is obviously failing to understand because they're still living in their old ways of life. They're still living as that old creation and they're bringing these worldly ideals into the church. Their behaviour revealed that they are full of pride, they are full of assertiveness, and they are full of competition. And, and these behaviours and these... Um, yeah, these behaviours fuel an overarching obsession with their rights. They didn't want anyone to infringe of their, in, of their rights or inhibit their freedom. They were people who lived by the idea of, why shouldn't I do what I feel like? I have a right to do anything. Yeah, why shouldn't I do it? It's my right. And if someone got in their way, they sued them. They were obsessed with their rights. And when you have this kind of attitude and obsession of rights in your relationship, it causes a lot of tension and a lot of hurt. It's unhealthy to live your life demanding that everything and everyone serve you because you deserve it. As brothers and sisters in Christ, the church in Corinth should have been known by their love they should have been known by their, their sacrifice and their service towards one another in their relationships, not their fights. But we come face to face with this issue of rights constantly, don't we? We come face to face constantly with, do I uh, assert my right here or do I lay it down and love someone else? If you drove your car at all today, um, I find this happens particularly on Sundays and particularly on Sunday mornings, the chances are you encountered the cyclist. Um, you know what they are, they ride their bikes on the road. Um, and <laughs> just in case you need clarification. And most of the time they're, they're taking up a lane or, or part of the lane and someone's coming the other way and you can't pass them safely because you've got to give them that one and a half metres di uh, distance. And so you have to slow down and sit behind them until it is safe to pass. You know the rules, right? Now, this is what I hear most often when it comes to cyclists. If they want to use their ro our roads for their bikes, then they should pay rego and they should pay insurance, right? Has anyone heard that? Yeah? Yeah, Ryan's got his hand up at the back. <laughs> I definitely have. And in these moments, when we're stuck behind them, we, we often get angry, right? You know that feeling of, oh, get out of my way. Um, 
And, and that is because we, we feel that we, in our cars, have a right to the road. And maybe when you're thinking about this, your response is like, well, yeah, we do have a right to the road. And I, so I'm going to get angry. I have a right to get angry because I have a right to the road. Maybe that's your response. But this is the exact attitude that Paul is addressing here. He would say to you, you've missed the point of your salvation. His response would be, who cares if it's your right to the road? Who cares? You need to love that other person regardless because that is more important than exercising your right. We're going to come into many situations in our relationships with one another and in our relationships with other believers where we're going to feel that we have a right to say something, to feel something, to do something or to receive something. And asserting our rights and our judgment on other people is one of the most destructive and nasty behaviours. And both of these things, asserting our rights and um, judgment, should have been cancelled through the redemption that we have received in Christ Jesus. Right? Rights have given way to reconciliation. As the Lord's people, as that, that is our identity, we have been called to reconciliation, not rights. And exercising our rights and passing judgment on others, this has been buried with Christ when he died for us. These are characteristics of an unredeemed nature. These are characteristics of the world. They are not characteristics of those who have made, been made new in Jesus. And if you are in Christ, you have been given a new identity. You've been called to die to yourself for the sake of honouring God and loving others. And dying to yourself means giving up your rights in order to love others well and share the gospel with them. If you're in Christ, your identity is in him as Lord's people. And when you're not in Christ, your identity is still in the world. So they're very separate. And it's for this reason that it is not the job of the courts and those outside of the church to address sin issues. Paul says in verse 4, if you have disputes, do you ask for a ruling from those whose ways of life is scorned in the church? It would be like if uh, Carlton, who's my husband, he's a mechanic, it'd be like him and his workmate having an argument over which oil is the most effective for a car, right? And it'd be like them coming to me and saying, Ashley, we're having this dispute. Please help me settle it. Which oil is better for your car? I don't know. I don't know anything about cars or anything about oil except for the olive oil that you put on, on your pan when you cook. It would not make any sense. It literally wouldn't make sense for them to come to me to try and settle this dispute. I don't have the foundation. I don't have the experience in this field. But this is what the church in Corinth was doing. They were going to people whose experiences were different, whose foundations were different, whose way of life was completely different and asking them advice and to speak into their situations. The church's authority is God and the world's authority is man. 
So when it comes to sin, we can't expect those of the world to address and judge matters of God. Everything in this world comes from the world. So taking matters of God and sin to the world to judge doesn't make sense because they judge from a totally different authority and identity. The church in Corinth had forgotten their identity as the Lord's people. They were putting their rights above their responsibilities. And as followers of Jesus, we've been called to deny ourselves, which includes denying our rights for the sake of the gospel. The second thing that Paul reminds them of is their witness. You see, as the local church, we have been called to be witnesses and a testimony to God and his character in the way that we live our lives and in the way that we love one another. The church is called to be a city on a hill, a shining light for the world to see. And through our relationships with each other, we should be um, displaying, sharing, and portraying the character of God. And because of this, the way that we interact with one another and the way that we love each other matters because it is seen by those in our community. I wonder if you've ever been out um, somewhere doing something and maybe at a restaurant and the people on staff have been arguing with one another. Carlson and I, a couple of months ago, we were getting burgers um, from this place. And and while we were waiting for for our burgers, the, the people on staff were just at each other the whole time. And I've got to admit, instantly, my attitude towards whether I was going to get good food or not changed. I, I started doubting uh, the credibility of this burger place and I started doubting whether they could cook my burger properly because of their relationship with one another. Their broken relationships tainted the image of the, of the restaurant. Now, there are a few things that impair the witness of the church as much as broken relationships. And the Corinthians are taking these broken relationships and they're flaunting them in court in front of people that they should be witnessing about the love of Jesus. Those outside of the church are already quick enough to pounce on any form of hypocrisy, any form of trouble in the church and in Christianity. And the church in Corinth are being terrible witnesses to the character of God because of their broken relationships. And they're tainting the image of God in their community. There are always going to be disagreements amongst Christians. But whenever the relationship becomes strained within the body of Christ, it is important, rather than publicly flaunting it, to deal with it well in the local church. And to do that, Paul specifies finding people who have been gifted through the Holy Spirit with wisdom to identify these people and and to bring, ask them to bring the wisdom of God into the situation. Now, the third thing that Paul reminds uh, the Corinthians of is their calling. In verse 7 to 8, Paul reminds the Corinthians that they've been called to be saints They've been called to share in the love of Christ. They've been called to know the power and the wisdom of God. But Paul says, instead of living in this victory, they are living defeated. They were behaving like unbelievers. To go to court with a brother or a sister is already to be living in defeat and to be experiencing defeat no matter 
what the outcome was of the legal process. They weren't living in victory, in the victory that they had been called. They were living defeated. So Paul goes on to remind them of who they once were before knowing Christ. He says in verse 9, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But we see in verse 11 that God goes up, sorry, Paul goes on to say, but you have been washed with the blood of Christ. You have been sanctified and justified. God does save. And Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they were once in this hopeless situation. They were categorized as wrongdoers who would not inherit the kingdom of God. But they had been saved out of that washed clean by the blood of Jesus who paid the punishment for our sin so that we can live in victory. And Paul is warning them, you are, you are living like you are still unbelievers. You are, you are living in that way. Don't go back to that. That is what Paul is warning them. Don't go back to living the way that you were saved out of. Live according to your calling as people of the Lord. And in doing so, he's also reminding them of the future hope that they have in heaven. Now, this is the reality of our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to be witnesses by living according to our identity as God's people. Because of what Jesus has done for us, And because of our relationship with him, when we understand our identity, when we understand our witness and our calling, we realize the eternal importance of our relationships with one another. Eternal importance of our relationships with one another. But we know, as I said, that disagreements and disputes do happen. They they will happen. So how are we to address these things as brothers and sisters in Christ? The first thing we are to do when we are wronged by a brother and sister is to accept it without bitterness. This was a clear teaching of Jesus. He said in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, truth for a truth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Jesus made it clear that we are to reject the world's standards around eye for an eye, truth for a truth, that teaches you did that to me, so I'm going to do that to you, right? Like, treat others how you want to be treated. But instead, we are to accept any wrongdoings or insults or anything that would lead to disputes without bitterness, without feeling the need to get revenge or to retaliate. And not just that, but we are to go one step further and we are actually to be generous towards this person. We are to treat them with with love. We are to willingly and joyfully hand over more than what they are asking from us. If they want our shirt, we give them our coat as well. Paul reminds us in verse 7 that we should rather be wronged and cheated 
than to allow these disputes to come between our relationships. When our identity is in Christ, we understand that all things are from God and that all things should be for God and to God. And this is an ultimate sacrifice of love towards our brothers and sisters, to hand over our rights to others. Now, the second thing that we are to do if we are wronged by a brother or sister in Christ is to forgive them. The church in Corinth strayed from the way of forgiveness and instead they were wronging and defrauding each other. They were doing the exact opposite of what they had been called to do and they were definitely not representing the love and the forgiveness of Christ to one another. Jesus teaches clearly on this as well. In Luke 17, he says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. But if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. We already know that that few things impair the witness of the church like broken relationships. And broken relationships can cause others to fall and they can cause others to stumble. And Jesus has some really serious things to say about those people that taint the witness of God in the community. So rather than allow these broken relationships to affect the witness of the local church, we are called to forgiveness. And again, just like what we were talking about before, to to accept, um, accept it with humility, we are called to go above and beyond in this forgiveness. This forgiveness is, is without conditions. This forgiveness asks for nothing in return. This forgiveness reflects so beautifully the forgiveness that God has given us as the church, and, and this forgiveness is a witness to God. So it's not surprising that we are called to reflect God's forgiveness as well in the way that we forgive one another. As I mentioned at the beginning of our time together, our relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship that we have in our lives. And all other relationships, whether that be friendships or romantic relationships, they all flow from our relationship with God. God has shown us incredible and unconditional love. He accepted the punishment of our sin without bitterness. And through our repentance, he extends total forgiveness to us, past, present, and future. And it is because of his acceptance and his forgiveness that we can now go on to show our acceptance and our forgiveness of our brothers and sisters when they wrong us. And this is how we are called to live in relationship with one another as a body of Christ. And we do it for the sake of the gospel. We do it to honour God and to honour one another. Our relationships with one another, they matter. They have eternal consequences. They have eternal purposes. They can reflect the love of Jesus or they can be a stumbling block. So just as we finish up tonight, I want to invite the team to come back up. But I want you to spend some time reflecting 
And I really want to encourage you, if you feel tonight that you need to forgive someone or seek forgiveness from someone, can I encourage you to actively pursue that at some point? That doesn't have to be tonight, but whether it is tonight or whether it is during the week at some point, because this is important. Our, our love and our relationship with one another, it shows others who Jesus is. So this stuff matters. So I want to encourage you, if you do, yeah, um, feel that you need to seek for forgiveness or forgive someone, um, to actively pursue that this week and to pray about it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have accepted us and you have forgiven us, Lord. We thank you that you ultimately are our, um, our model. Lord, you have shown us this, this love and you have shown us um, how we are to love others. And Father, we, we repent and we are sorry that sometimes our relationships, our, our rights, our feel, um, feeling and needing of exercising these rights gets in the way of your work, Lord. And we repent of that, Father. But we thank you that through your Holy Spirit, um, your power is, is, is stronger than those things. And Lord, we thank you that you work in us even when we are weak. So yeah, Father, just pray for the rest of our series on relationships, Lord. Would you help us to lift our eyes to, to look to you um, yeah, when it comes to questions about these things. In your name, amen.